everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood uh, from devjet.tv. And this week, we're talking to Sean Porter from Sensu. Sean, do you want to say hello? Hello. Today's podcast is sponsored by UpCloud. Is your website running slow? Supercharge your hosting performance by deploying on the world's fastest cloud infrastructure. UpCloud offers superior cloud servers and advanced scalability, instant backup snapshots, and easy-to-use control panel. Fully featured API and a ton of integration options and managing partners. Pricing starts at only $5 a month with enough performance options to host any website or app, all backed by 24-7 live in-house support. You can get started today with a free trial using promo code DevChatTV at upcloud.com slash signup. They'll give you a $25 credit to get you going. Remember, upcloud.com slash signup with promo code DevChatTV. Now, uh, we brought you on because you're this genius expert guy, right? And, you know, you know all about this stuff. You want to just uh, tell people who you are and why you're famous and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll tell you about my fame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, the co-founder and CTO of Sensu Inc., uh, where I get to oversee the development of the wonderful monitoring product and, and work with fantastic people. Uh, it's really centered around this project called Sensu that I had the privilege of starting back in 2011, uh, kind of to solve a lot of my own kind of pains around being an operator and, and living in a new kind of cloud native world before many other companies kind of made that transition. So trying to make a solution so that I could um, improve my own quality of life, right. uh, get a little bit more sleep, uh, get back to doing the work that I want to be doing kind of thing. So I'm, I'm an operator at heart and uh, I just truly love working in, in the space and helping people continue to solve these problems. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting. I mean, you're talking about being co-founder, um, wanted to build this solution. Yeah, tell us a little bit of the story here. I mean, what is Sensu and where did it come from? I, I should also also point out that uh, this kind of came out of, I had a, a media pass to KubeCon and then wound up not being able to go. And so um, you had some folks working with you that reached out to me and I was like, well, yeah, of course I want to talk to Sean. So <laughs> we made it happen. But yeah, so what's the story behind Sensu? Yeah, so uh, back in, I guess, 2009, 2010, I found myself at a company called Sonian. Uh, we were a company running on multiple clouds at the time. All mm -hmm. the clouds were like one or two services, right? They were VMs and some kind of object storage. Everything was really new. Yep. Amazon had spot instances. And we're like, we want to drink all this Kool-Aid. We are a, a software business centered around cloud infrastructure. Uh, let's take everything we thought we knew and apply it to this infrastructure plat platform. And boy, did we have a fun time. Uh, I like to say it's type two fun. Type one fun is like, Gabe, we're having a great time. Type two fun is like, <laughs> you know, my, my child just, you know, broke all the dishes in the kitchen, but he was cute while doing it. That's type two fun. So we were having a lot of type two fun uh, on the cloud. And, uh, you know, I had my bag of tricks. Uh, I had, you know, uh, hierarchical Nagios. I had all my traditional system in tooling, all my experiences previously. Mm -hmm. And uh, my team and I, we just kind of struggled to really operate this, this new, uh, new found infrastructure, getting, you know, average of 40 pages a night. Our rotation had to be every three days because we were burning out. And what we saw, though, is the app team was able to design our application in a way to fully leverage cloud infrastructure and operate effectively and efficiently and actually squeeze out all the value that cloud provided. 
And we're like, why can't we have that? Why can't, you know, our tools have those, you know, principles and attributes. Right. So basically just took, I, I kind of just did a weekend project with my friend, Justin Kohlberg. We stole some architectural designs from the app team, kind of threw some basic, you know, Unix law, uh, knowledge in there, a little bit of Ruby, um, mm -hmm. and came up with a solution that got the visibility into our, our, our infrastructure and apps that we needed to. And then we're like, this is pretty sweet. Management gave us some company time to work on it, managed to get an MIT license on it, put it out there. Turns out everyone else was experiencing the same pain. Uh, and we kind of built a community around this project from there. And, and it just kind of took off and, and people started applying this and it kind of just grew and expanded to become a, a framework or a monitoring event pipeline uh, as, as, a, as a title of a way to describe Sensu where people could extend it and integrate it into their um, infrastructure stack. Yeah. It's funny because just hearing you talk about this, I remember, and it's it's been like nine years or something, I interviewed Tom Preston Warner from GitHub and he was talking about the origin story for from GitHub. And yeah, you know, him and uh, Chris went and sat down in a cafe, had a conversation about how nice it would be to have these tools around Git threw together a rails project and now we have github right? And yeah so, it's only yeah. now like the most integral part of our daily lives working on software <laughs> i know right and but but it's interesting too i mean it's just like you know yeah i would love to have this tool and have these problems solved for me and the, and then off you go so what all does sensu actually do right because you're talking about having the visibility and and you know giving some direction as far as how i manage my cloud resources but, but yeah, how does it do that? So um, it's really all about this idea of like unified data collection and then processing in a consistent way. So you have this monitoring agent and API that you just kind of spread mm -hmm. everywhere, whether it be on your bare metal hosts, your VMs, containers, um, running up in the cloud, having your like other services pushing data to, and then you kind of funnel it into what we call like a, a, a pipeline. Um, and then it has a number of steps in those pipelines, whether it be filtering so you can select certain events based on attributes, then you can mutate and transform to either redact information, enrich it further with other data sources. And then you have event handlers so you can take actions like send alerts, notification, wake somebody up, you know, page their phone, um, or kick off like an Ansible uh, task to take some remediation task um, or store some data in Splunk or Elastic for reporting mm -hmm. purposes. So it's really all about creating this backbone, the central nervous system that's, you know, horizontally scalable. You can process all your data in a consistent way using these filters, mutators, and handlers. And then really you can switch out where you're storing the data, how you're visualizing that data, how you're being alerted, and your, you know, um, uh, escalation, that kind of thing. So it, it allows you to make change more rapidly, inexpensively. Um, and that's really the, the superpower of Sensu. It's, it's, it gives you the, the agent and then this powerful backend for processing your data. And then you just solve the problem you need to solve, which is how do I get the important things to the right people? Right. And, and I think that's kind of the, the situation with a lot of monitoring systems, right? Is that it, it gathers the data. And what I see generally is, yeah, you know, as long as it doesn't deeply impact the system performance or things like that, then, you know, you're good to go as far as the agent goes. And as long as it's collecting the right information, you know, you're good there. But yeah, the real trick is, is 
now I've got this big pile of data. What do I do with it? And, <laughs> and so, you know, whether you're using Sensu or something else, yeah, how do you make sense of a big pile of data about your infrastructure, especially in the cloud native world now? I mean, before it was like, you know what, like I, I think you mentioned Nagios, you know, so you, you plug it into your app, it's running on one server, you know, you have a single stream of consciousness. Now it's okay, I've got a dozen microservices, I've got a couple of VPSs, I've got a Kubernetes cluster over here because that needs to scale in a particular way. And then I've got, I've got it coming from everywhere and they're all interconnected. So one of them has a problem and it bubbles off to the other one. And then, you know, anyway, so, so how, how do you make sense of it and then make good decisions from that? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, if we dial it all the way back to the, the, original, the inception of Sensu, it was all about that use case of uh, improving the signal to noise ratio for service checks and, and incident notifications. So taking it back there, it was all about deduplication and filtering um, and then applying some, some intelligent logic around time of day of when to be alerted. Then it turned into, okay, how do we correlate all these events that are coming in from these different sources, as you say, like all those microservices and bubble them up under one banner so that I'm only being alerted once. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the next level to take it to. And then now what we're seeing is, you know, the new signal to noise ratio problem is the quality of our observability data and the cost associated with trying to store and query all that data. So how do we improve the, the quality that we're actually uh, storing, analyzing, and, and calculating our, our availability and the user experience on. So it's it's just kind of compounded since you know 2008 when Amazon started taking off really for a lot of organizations, and we've just kind of piled on on the problem. And since you just had to kind of expand and, and adapt to um, providing the features and functionality operators need to um, address these problems. So again the deduplication, trying to improve the signal to noise, then going to how do we correlate all these different events under one umbrella? And then now it's how do I uh, also collect all my log and trace data and, and filter out what's important and not oversample kind of thing. Right. So I don't know if I necessarily answered your question because I think how you solve it really matters what your application infrastructure looks like. Right. It, it's too, it still like feels too bespoke to give like, one distinct answer. <laughs> no, that makes sense. And yeah, I mean, you, you pull it all in, you, you, like you, you said, you know, you, you set up the infrastructure so that you have the information and then yeah, every app is going to be a little different and you're going to have to be working things out as far as, you know, yeah, what does it mean? What am I looking at? You know, how, how do I, how do I find the information I need to, okay, this needs to be its own service or that needs to, you know, get handled in a different way or, hey, this is really serious and we need to fix this today and not put it off. I guess what I'm wondering is, are there certain, uh, you know, in programming, we have design patterns, right? And so, yeah, you don't know down to the details what your app needs to do, but you know that, okay, I've got this kind of problem and so I'm going to solve it with this kind of pattern. And so are there certain trends that you might be looking for or seeing in your data that you're going to make you think, yeah, that's a good candidate for this kind of a solution? Well, I think um, part of the, the solution up front is to almost over contextualize your event data and your monitoring data. It's like almost go too deep on, on enriching every, every piece of data that's emitted by your application. Mm -hmm. um, and what's, what's cool about, you know, some of our new platforms that, 
everyone's jumping, jumping on like Kubernetes is they do push this idea of labels and annotations. And then just to be able to orchestrate all those microservices, you have to annotate, you have to label. And then it provides this rich source of data, uh, which tools like Sense you can then grab. And then any data that's coming out of that into the sidecar or being pushed mm -hmm. to a daemon set or pushed to an API can be further contextualized. So that already at least gives you the context to start to draw that that map or those connections between all these services and then kind of kind of work from there what i've what i've seen going all the way back to to nowadays though it's still a really like retrospective driven kind of process where okay you, you know like you 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 dump on all the context you get all the data there you make your best guesses your assumptions then you have to operate this thing um, then of course, there's always an incident or something that catches you off guard. Then it goes into, let's have a retrospective. Let's try and understand what happened here. Why were we blindsided? Why didn't we see this coming? Dive into your observability tooling, your, your data, start analyzing it, figure out if there were patterns or things you could have done differently, and then try to apply them. I think it's, it's always this like combination of, of monitoring observability retrospective and then going it's it's this full mm -hmm. cycle kind of thing does that make sense it does make sense uh, it seems like you're approaching it mostly from almost an incident management perspective where yeah this went wrong we don't have the data you know to completely understand it but you know maybe with more monitoring data or if we enrich it in this other way you know from sources we already have you know, then we can make a better decision as we iterate on this problem to find a solution to it. Yeah, and I think I can't help it but approach it by that way, just based on my background and how I've always wanted to operate infrastructure and applications. Yeah. It's that it just makes sense in 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 my model of it. Yeah, and it it makes sense in the general you know way of thinking about this. I mean, um, I'll admit I I set up like. Google Analytics, just to give another example on my on my website, right? And I go look at those analytics when somebody asks me how much traffic we're getting, right? <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing with this monitoring data is that you you set it up, you have it being collected. And until you have a problem that you can solve by looking at it, yeah, you don't go really spend a ton of time looking at it. Gremlin is a chaos engineering service built by engineers from companies like Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Dropbox. To learn more about chaos engineering, join the Slack community over at gremlin.com slash Slack. With thousands of active members, it's a great place to network and find resources to improve your organization's resilience. I think, I think yeah, at that point, you've, you've made your assumptions, you've made your bets, you've, mm -hmm. you've got like certain triggers already set up in advance because you've assumed they, they indicate a particular failure mode or failure case. Yeah. Do yeah. you set up? triggers on it that aren't necessarily errors or exceptions coming out of an application. So things like performance or response time or, you know, and so if you get a series of responses that are all taking too long, then it bubbles up and, you know, yells at you. <laughs> so uh, in terms of uh, like performance data, we're still working towards uh, applying the same logic that we've been able to do for like service checks and, okay. and, and that kind of thing. So in terms of telemetry, since you approaches it fairly simple where we funnel it all in, we normalize it into a single format, and then you can write it to as many time series databases as you want. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can set up a number of probes against those data stores that run on a recurring interval. 
um, it's kind of the same as, as everyone in that case where it's just about collecting all the things, storing it efficiently, and then um, visualizing and, and periodically checking for, for those assumptions. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, beyond monitoring the, the application, right? I mean, that, that seems like the, the easiest one to talk about because it's, I wrote some code, I need to know what it's doing, right? But what about monitoring things like Kubernetes or, you know, some of the infrastructure and, you know, the, the things that control my app but aren't actually my app? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Are, are these things running as part of a, a cloud provider or uh, managed in-house on bare metal? You know, that's a good question. I, I think we run across people that do both. Um, when, when I talk to people, a lot of the time it's, yeah, well, we have all this stuff running on the cloud provider. And so I'm assuming the cloud providers monitoring a lot of that stuff. And really, I'm just looking at the sort of things that vary from one you know, from one thing to another that I can control, you know, so um, if I have uh, Helm charts or, you know, some config file or something that are, you know, impacting the way my app runs, then it, as I tweak it, you know, I'm going to monitor that. But, you know, they're, they're kind of watching everything else. Um, but yeah, I've also talked to other companies where it's, you know what, we didn't want to run this ourselves, but our data falls under HIPAA or PCI or... Mm -hmm. um, what you know gdpr or something like that right in in a way that means that we have to actually have it in-house right we can't have it in the cloud and so you know they they wind up having to take a lot more of this on so i think the answer to that is yes yeah <laughs> i think i think in in many cases we're seeing both as well it's yeah. uh, a mixture um and then yeah they've got they've got different uh, policy uh, privacy concerns based on their customer base um and then they want to collect and analyze and monitor the data in a consistent manner between it. You know, it kind of falls into the, the stereotypical hybrid cloud message, uh, whether that be cloud on their own rack in their uh, DC or, or on Amazon. So I think in terms of like monitoring the, the platforms that we're now seeing, like Kubernetes, the, the orchestrators, um, I think those projects are great from the start because they instrument and expose a lot of information. I mean, you see the the uh, Prometheus project really taken off there within the CNCF, right. you know, and then Kubernetes is fully exposing all that data, which is great for us because we we just have a Prometheus collector and we we pull all that information, the same thing you get from Prom, and then we give you the option of doing more with it and storing it in different time series databases, um, and then you can run the Sensu agent as uh, either a sidecar for your app or um, daemon set for all your uh, cubelets or on the bare metal host itself. And you can even do a mixture of your old traditional service checks for your more, um, you know, Linux system administration mm -hmm. monitoring, um, as well as any custom checks you kind of write up and then really just any kind of telemetry plugin that is in existent can be applied. So you get your normal infrastructure based monitoring. Um, and then you can tie into the Kubernetes uh, API for the advanced monitoring um, and do some really wild stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember my first tech job was actually working in the data center for you, the university I was attending. And, you know, we had hundreds of servers to monitor. 
And then um, I got promoted. Well, I got a different job within the <laughs> IT organization um, and, you know, and a raise. But I wound up moving on to the, the basically the OS uh, server admin team. And then I went and did an internship and came back. And when I came back, we were on VMware. And so all of a sudden, there was this software control element to all of it, you know, that was VMware. And so, you know, and all of it still had to be monitored. And, you know, we had it all hooked up to Nagios, which we affectionately called Nag iOS. Uh, and, <laughs> it's appropriate or nachos. Uh, that's yeah. another one. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, so, you know, I'm just sitting here going, wow, you know, there's all this stuff going on. And I have to care about the the bare metal now. I have to care about the orchestration layer. I have to care about what the actual performance is on the virtual server that I'm running or on the bare metal server that I'm running. And yeah, you know, what are we doing with all this? And so there, there's a lot of data to make sense of. It's still, yeah, it completely applies today, even if you're running on AWS or GCP. I mean, you need all that context to fully understand an incident or performance regression. It's all part of the big picture. You need that holistic view. So you need to try and pull it all in. Great thing is like, you, well, AWS, they expose it is a bit low resolution. You can still get access to a bunch of data. You can get some stuff into an S3 bucket and then pull that back in. You know, GCP is like Stackdriver and other ways of, of getting that data. I mean, it, it is all there. The biggest problem is it it's all in different formats. It's all with different APIs. And that's really what we're trying to help solve is like, how do you get it out of all these places and get it into mm-hmm. one place so that you get that single holistic big picture? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say big pain in glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and it's interesting too. I mean, just to complicate it even further, you know, are you running GCP Kubernetes or Amazon Kubernetes or what you know, flavor? And, <laughs> well, and in larger organizations, a lot of times they kind of leave those kinds of infrastructure decisions up to the teams. And so I may have this team's running their microservices on Lambda or what is it, EKS or anyway mm-hmm. on Amazon. And then um, the other team wants to run it on GCP and another one wants to run it on, you know, in-house OpenShift or, you know, I, <laughs> whatever tickles their fancy. Yeah. And, and so you wind up in this multi-cloud environment. You know, and then and then it's blended local and not local, and yeah. So so yeah. So you bring it in, you normalize it, you put it together so that somebody can see it. I mean, you've got to have some people with some data chops over there. <laughs> the thing is, is like in like we we have fantastic engineers that are, are really focused on giving the the foundation, the framework, and then the product based on top of that to give you all the pieces that you need as an operator because no one understands your infrastructure and your application better than you. And really it's all about providing the, the tool set, the toolbox to be able to um, really work it because unfortunately every organization has such a broad spectrum of technologies in a combination, you know, organizations that are larger that have been around for 10 years or more, are even worse off that we can't make like the magic bullet tool but what we can give you is like we i don't know i'm not going with this weapon analogy um (laughs) we we can give you everything you need to understand the data that's coming out of your infrastructure um yeah and i think what what is interesting is we're we're seeing now patterns of how users are using and applying sensu and we're seeing that oh 
these organizations use these technologies and we're seeing them all monitor them in a similar fashion. So we're starting to be able to pick up on patterns between organizations. And then we're also starting to see how people from an organization, when they leave and go to another one and they, they apply Sensu and they take all that knowledge with them. So we're starting to see all these patterns and it really bubbles up how people are operating and monitoring and managing these services so that we can start to make some more recommendations and start to do some of this stuff you know, magically. Um, and then we can slap on hashtag uh, right. like AI ops, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, we're, we're basically just stealing uh, domain knowledge from all of our users. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well that, I mean, in some ways that makes, you know, it might bother some people, I guess, but to me, it makes sense because it's, okay, you know, we're seeing all of these cases and then we're utilizing technology like AI, right? To make it so that, you know, I can solve that same problem for you without you having to go through it. Right. It, it, it comes in instead of being like a fully, um, like you, you install the thing and you go through all the steps. Instead, it's like, it's reverse. It's like you install the thing and then you reverse certain actions mm -hmm. that you don't agree with. Yeah. Um, that sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, one other thing that I'm seeing, you know, in the, in the prep documents and stuff like that is uh, secrets management, which seems a little bit outside of this. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah. it's not. How, how do you think about that? <laughs> and how does it relate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is like automation is, is such a, like a mandatory or integral part of any modern business. Like for us, for anyone to compete in any market, there has to be a huge amount of automation at play at every level of the yeah. of the organization, right? And automation has to interact with public and private services within and with outside of your control. And it all needs to be able to authenticate and author authorize um, certain actions through all these things. So with like automation being having its tendrils and everything, it needs access to secrets. Monitoring is very similar in that it needs the ability to poke at all these things, it needs the ability to scrape information securely, transmit somewhere. You also need the ability to um, have a RBAC model around that data so you could say, these people can see it, you know, or this data actually includes privacy information from the UK. Right. Like, you know, people in Texas shouldn't be reading that, um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it just shows that automation monitoring needs secrets. Um, and it needs to be managed in a consistent way across your whole organization. So secrets management is incredibly important. I think, you know, with, with HashiCorp Vault, and we're seeing yeah. a lot more people picking up, we see a lot more traction now, a lot more awareness around proper secrets management, uh, moving away from some more archaic enterprise tools of like a, from a decade ago. Um, I, think, I think more and more people are waking up to how better their lives can be with secrets management. <laughs> Well, it's funny because um, a few years ago, talking to people at, about DevOps, you know, we were talking about um, containers and orchestrators and, you know, that was the big thing. But now you go to a DevOps conference and everybody's talking about how do I make this secure? <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding either. I mean, it it is fairly ubiquitous. I mean, just people coming, you know, and going, this, this is the big deal now, right? Is not how how can we make this work efficiently but how do i not get my rear end suit off by screwing this up yeah yeah i mean what's interesting it's like looking back the last i think six years it was how do i how do i automate 
fast enough yes. to keep up with this, mm-hmm. right? And then it turned into how do I gain visibility into this thing that's moving so fast? And now it's like, oh, I forgot one of the most important things. <laughs> how do I not leak secrets everywhere and yeah. compromise my infrastructure? And yeah, yeah you're, you're right. I've, I've, been, I've been seeing that a lot more too at every event. Um, yeah, the, the rate of churn of infrastructure and applications, it's, it's even more difficult. We've been recording Ruby Rogue since 2011, and we've talked to a lot of people who have had a really deep influence, not only on the programming community, but also on the Ruby community. And as we've talked to these people, it's become apparent to me that we talk a lot about the things that make them interesting that they've done. but We don't really get into how they got into programming or how they came up in their career, how they got to be the person who invented whatever library or, or technique that they came on the show to talk about. And so I put together a show where we actually highlight these things. We talk to them about how they got into programming. We talk to them about how they got into Ruby, maybe how they got into Rails. We get a little bit deep into what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And then we talk about what they're working on. We talk about the things that make them well-known or make them interesting. And a lot of times, it's the stuff that goes beyond the code that really makes these people tick and makes them the kind of people that we want to hear about. And so I put together a show called My Ruby Story. You can find it at myrubystory.com. And it's where I interview these people and just get the stories of these people and how they came into programming. So if you want to hear inspirational stories or get ideas on how you can actually advance your career, then go check it out at myrubystory.com. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, to really bake secrets management, at least secrets management integration into Sensu really tightly. Right. And, and, you know, our, our number one target is uh, HashiCorp's fault um, because it, it's a great tool, provides a great developer experience, right? Which you can't say about a lot of secrets management tools. Mm-hmm. And, and it just like, you know, a lot of organizations that are deploying Sensu already have Vault. Um, right. So, you know, it allows Sensu to get one-time access credentials and sort of things for invoking a call to another service. And then... Uh, you know, that expires and the lease expires and it has to get another one. It's just, it, it's, it's a match made in heaven kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense too, right? Because, yeah, I don't want to have to give you the keys to the kingdom. And so, yeah, by managing it that way, yeah, right. none of my yeah, tools but, actually have access to anything I don't want them to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting world that we've uh, created for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's, what's coming next for Sensu? So I think, you know, we're, like, as I said, like we, we've been, we've been talking about Sensu in terms of this monitoring event pipeline for a number of years now. We're starting to see this observability pipeline be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that aligns with how do you improve the quality of, of observability data. So I think we're going to, we're going to make some improvements around how Sensu um, helps organizations deal with, with trace and log data a little bit more. Um, we're also going to make it easier to visualize all the actions that Sensu is taking with all these other services because it 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 integrates with everything you already have as well as you know things you're planning to integrate with but those those inter- those touch points are kind of hard to visually observe like it's uh, you have to look at log data to see what services it's talking to whether things succeed so we just kind of work on um, bubbling that up and, and making right. the pipeline itself have better observability so I think that's that's kind of where we want to focus in the first half of of 2020, um, and then kind of just see where you know our, our users, our, our community, and customers take us. 
Yep. So how big is the company? So I think we're around uh, like just around 40 people. Uh, we're still fairly small. We're nice and lean. Um, yep. We, I definitely feel that we consistently hit above our weight class. You know, we, we pump out really high quality software with relatively few people. And, uh, you know, every day I love just going to work and, and see everyone just cranking it out at, while also not burning ourselves out. I think everyone enjoys the balance that we have. So no, yeah. I can't, I couldn't be more, more proud of, of the company we've, we've managed to build and, and, uh, construct around this, the Sensu project. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess the other question I have is, are there aspects of Sensu or monitoring or things that people need to understand that I didn't ask about? I think, you know, there's still a lot of organizations that are, are feeling a lot of the pains that, you know, as we said, automation, orchestration, and then security kind of brings along. And then they're trying to build their own solutions to these problems. And the funny thing is, in the end, they end up like grabbing Kafka, and then they end up like creating an agent, and then they end up running all this stuff. They end up recreating a simplified or very specific version of Sensu to solve their problem that then they have to maintain. So right. I think... And we're seeing that observability pipelines, the new banner, and we're seeing a lot more organizations build these things. I just implore them to, to look around at projects like Sensu to, um, you know, save themselves a lot of pain and anguish uh, and then just join the masses. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, we're going to see, see more and more. This year, it's going to all be about um, a lot more trace, a lot more logging. Yeah. And... Uh, no, that's, that's just kind of where our industry's headed. Good deal. If people want to follow <laughs> you or, um, you know, connect with Sensu or anything like that, what, what are the best places to do that? Well, you can find more about Sensu at sensu.io, S-E-N-S-U.io. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Porter Tech. I haven't been too active lately. Uh, you can also join the Sensu uh, Slack community. Uh, that's generally where most uh, of our community communicate with one another uh we've moved out of irc over the years uh into the light uh now uh <laughs> embracing our corporate overlords at slack but that's kind of those are the best places uh and then generally you can find me at events like chef conf puppet conf kind of any sort of infrastructure uh event i'll be lurking in the halls good deal all right. Well, the, the final segment of the show is picks and that's just shout outs for whatever. You know, I, I did Christmas movies for a while. We, we kind of got a little ahead of ourselves. Um, oh, Die Hard, show. of course. <laughs> yeah, I keep hearing that. I've never actually seen it, so. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I feel like people are still up in arms whether it's a Christmas movie or not, but I think hey, it is in this household. If it makes your Christmas better, go for it. Oddly enough, that and the first Independence Day movie. I, I, my family has weird tastes, I guess. Hey, there you go. Um, but I think in terms of like picks that aren't Christmas movies, um, I, really, I, I don't think we do video on this podcast, but I've been reading this book by April Dunford called Obviously Awesome. It's around product positioning. I think in uh -huh. terms of books, this is, I'm only halfway through, but I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it so far. And basically just looking back at the last four years of my life and with deep regrets uh, that I did not think to you know, look into research and, 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 uh, you know, learn more about product positioning before building a company around a open source project. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess I should have asked that too. Sensu is open source. Yeah. The open core is open source. Right. Um, what's interesting actually, 
this this could have been a whole topic on its own, which is how we distribute our open source uh, software. But uh, our our commercial distribution is built on top of the core. Right. Um, so if anyone gets the official Sensu builds, it's actually a commercially licensed version that includes the open core. Right. So Very what are your cool. picks, Charles? My picks. Well, I've got this very nice, uh, it's the, the Star Wars movie comes out tomorrow as we speak. Um, I have a Zero BB-8. Nice. Uh, and I can control it from my phone. My kids think that's pretty awesome. Um, my my uh, four-year-old will come in here after her nap and ask me to turn it on because the base has a button on it. And so you hit the button and then he starts to turn his head. and Yeah, and I get the daddy. He's looking at me. <laughs> uh, you're a wizard. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> I, I have magical powers. Eventually he'll turn and look at any given point in the room. So yeah, that works out well. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else I should pick. This is my fourth podcast episode today. So um, I'm kind of. Well, one eggnog. Thing, eggnog. Eggnog. Oh, yeah. I, I am a sucker for eggnog. I love eggnog. Yeah. Um, the other one that I'm going to pick is, um, oh, what's it called? I just signed up for it. Um, anyway, it's a training system that uh, you can basically, um, you write your processes for your business in it. And then, um, and you can add videos, you can add pictures, you can add text. And then you've got basically your whole your whole system uh, documented. And wow. for the life of me, I can't think of what it is. This um, feels like something you dreamed up, and that's why you can't recall it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll, I'll wind up putting a link in there somewhere. But uh, it'll, it'll make its way into the show notes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, it's. Uh, it's something that I've found, at least for the podcasts in particular, um, is kind of a critical piece of what we do is just having everybody know what to do and when to do it. And so when, we're, when we work through some of these processes, it's nice to be able to, you know, if there's an issue, say, is it in the process? Do we need to clarify the process? And then, you know, from then on, then things kind of get um, solidly implemented. And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it works out for the consistency and things that we have in our, our systems. Um, I find that it works better for the sort of marketing and production than necessarily the programming and things like that. Though you can have a documented, you know, this is how we're work. This is how we work through stories or issues or tickets or whatever. Or release process. Right now. Yeah. So a release process or a commit process. Mm -hmm. So you have a process for how you write your commit messages or how you run your linting and things like that. And then overall, you know, you automate as much of that as you can. And then since everybody's kind of working the same way, even though you're not dictating necessarily like IDEs or what have you, um, there's a certain level of consistency in the way things get done and people can acclimate to that. So I look forward to our GitHub overlords implementing some of this. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I just, I can't. I can't find the link to the, the <laughs> just struggling. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, it's been a long freaking day too. It's so. time for that eggnog. It's just, Heck it's, yeah, it calls to you. It does. It really does. So, <laughs> oh, one more pick. Um, so uh, I have a smoker on my front porch, and I 
I love smoking meat. Um, I've, I've got a rack of ribs in there right now. And, um, yeah, that you use the three, two, one method on it. And what's the three, two, one method. So what you do is you season your meat and stick it in the smoker for three hours and then you pull it out, you put it on some tin foil, um, throw some butter, brown sugar, and Sounded apple, good so far. apple cider <laughs> on it. Um, I didn't have any apple cider, so I just used some cooking wine on it. Um, and then you throw it back in for two hours. And of course, it'll cook off all the alcohol and stuff. But, um, you cook it for another two hours. And then you pull it out and you um, put your barbecue sauce back on it and stick it back in for another hour. So it's three hours, two hours, one hours, three, two hours. Gotcha. And uh, man, they come out so good. So juicy, so tender. It's funny because you, you pull it out after the two hours, you know, soaking in that stuff because you wrap the tinfoil around it so that all that liquid stays in it. And when you pull it out and unwrap it, then you're being super careful to not have it fall apart before you get it back in the <laughs> smoker. Uh, it's an awesome problem to have. <laughs> yes, definitely. So Very cool. I think that's a good pick. I think, I think that sounds delicious. Heck yeah. And, well, we'll and, see tonight, won't we? Yeah. Well, I won't, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll have I'm to let me know how it goes. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming and talking to me for a bit. Yeah, um, thanks, Charles. Thanks it's, for it's having been me. a lot of fun. And yeah, hopefully we'll, people will go check out Sensu and see if it solves their problem. Yeah. And yeah, come find me online and connect on the internet. Yep. Right on. Sure. Well, thank you so much and enjoy your lovely meat and eggnog. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a bit, folks. And in the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.